Hello, and welcome back to the MGC podcast, where we desire to go deep into the Christian faith. My name is Alex Portillo, and I am your host. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. This episode is our last episode before Christmas, which means we are going to talk about Christmas right now. Uh, We're going to be talking with Pastor Jackie James about Emmanuel, God with us. We're specifically going to be asking ourselves, what does it mean for God to be with us, especially when it so often feels like we're alone? We'll sit back, relax, and enjoy. The story is incomplete without rejoicing. You're only telling half the story if you focus on the captivity or the pain or the or the exile. It's it's a part of the story, but you have to go beyond that. You have to also rejoice because if you don't believe that God is going to birth something great, not just something good, something great out of your pain, out of your exile, out of your captivity, if you can't believe that, then you don't really understand God. The name Emmanuel refers to a sign God gave to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The king did not trust God, but the prophet challenged him to ask God for a sign. Unwilling to ask, God gave him one anyway. The sign was a child who was born to a young woman in the kingdom named Emmanuel. That child was to be a sign to the king that God was truly with them. Thus, in the Old Testament, Emmanuel refers more to a sign of God's protection than an actual person. But in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, the name Emmanuel refers specifically to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus represents what that child represented for the king. Christ represents God with us. The hymn, O Come, Emmanuel, was originally written in Latin. This hymn takes us back over 1,200 years to monastic life in the 8th or the 9th century. The English translation of the Christmas Carol came about in 1851 when priest and scholar John Mason Neal discovered the Latin hymn in the appendix of an early 18th century manuscript with a refrain. Neil, who was a translator of early Greek and Latin hymns, included it in his influential collection, supplied with a tune by Thomas Helmorm. This hymn differs drastically from most Christian carols. Instead of being an overt song of celebration, the celebration is subtle and the pain is magnified. 
The hymn was the seventh antiphon in a collection of Christmas antiphons called the O Antiphones because they all started with O's. And if you're wondering what an antiphon is, it is a short sentence sung or recited before or after a psalm or a canticle, similar to, to a chant. The hymns were designed to consecrate the mind on the coming of Christmas, enriching the meaning of the incarnation with references from the Old and New Testaments. Put together backwards, the first letter of the second word of each antiphon creates a two-word acrostic poem that spells the Latin words ero crass, meaning I will be present tomorrow, or tomorrow I will come. The O Emmanuel hymn was sung on the night before Christmas Eve revealing the meaning of the liturgical riddle that on Christmas day, God would come. The words captive, mourning, lonely, and exile are prominent words in the hymn, O Come, Emmanuel which has been part of our Christian tradition since the 8th, 9th century. Why are these themes so often left out today in our churches when we celebrate Christmas? Well, because no one wants to think about that part of it. No one wants to, no one, because historically speaking, we want to talk about the happy, happy, joy, joy. This is a time of real desperation and people are going about their everyday life like we are right now. And we often ignore what is happening inside of us. And we focus on what's happening to us. But what happens to us affects what happens inside of us. And what this hymn is, what these words are talking about is what happens inside of us. They are, the captivity part is also an internal captivity. It's not just an external captivity. They are captive internally to their angst and their fear and their loneliness and their and their mourning. These are all internal. And the exile is they are far from God's home, not just to be the masters of their own land. The exile here is far from God's home, what, what God had originally planned for them. And so when we look at this deeply, I think it's hard for us in the Christian world where we want to talk about puppies and sunshine and rainbows to really say that sometimes the only time we see a rainbow is when it's cloudy in the sky after a rainstorm or a thunderstorm, or in our case, after all day um, overcast for weeks. And so it's hard. It's hard. We don't want to focus on that. And I, and I think that's good, but we can't ignore it. It's a part of our story. The birth of Christ comes with, doesn't come within a vacuum. No. It has a context, and that's what brings the joy. It is the captivity, the mourning, the lonely, and the exile. It doesn't make sense without it. And, and, and that's why, like I said this last week, I wonder if Isaiah, when he's getting this word from God, 
if there's a tear in his eye because he now understands. He's already known it, but God shows him, I got you. I got my people. I know this hurts, but I got my people. And that is, for me, why we can be in this moment. It's a real moment. We can't, we can't, ign- we can't ignore the, the mourning. Right now, we have church members that are mourning the loss of a spouse or the loss of financial security um, or the loss of just what they thought the future would look like for them. They can be in this moment, but without hope past this moment, what do we have? And so that's why I think, that's why the song is so powerful for me because it reflects that we can be in this moment and then rejoice, rejoice. What I find interesting about the ancient hymn is that the words captive, mourning, lonely, and exile, and the command to rejoice are not assumed to be at different times, but at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Captivity, mourning, loneliness, and exile will end when the Son of God appears. Uh, But until the hymn challenges the hearer to rejoice in the promise of deliverance, can there be joy in times of pain? Can there be joy in times of severe loss? And what is the difference, if, if there is any, between happiness and joy? The story is incomplete without rejoicing. You're only telling half the story if you focus on the captivity or the pain or the, or the exile. It's, it's a part of the story, but you have to go beyond that. You have to also rejoice. Because if you don't believe that God is going to birth something great, not just something good, something great out of your pain, out of your exile, out of your captivity. If you can't believe that, then you don't really understand God. Because the entire Bible unfolds that God is going to deliver in ways that we cannot begin to predict. And so the rejoicing is, I still trust God. That's the rejoicing. It's, I'm going to put Words. I'm going to put tone into the fact that in this moment, I may not be able to see it, but I can rejoice. And that's the biblical story. When you get to Matthew 1.23 and the story, the, the beautiful reflection back to Isaiah, Emmanuel shall come. Rejoice. The story is incomplete without the rejoicing. Can there be times, joy in times of pain? Yeah. Because, using analogy of childbirth, um, because in the pain, you understand that it is ultimately going to lead to, an, to something greater. This, yesterday... Yesterday marked 40, I don't want to say the number, 47 years since my mom passed away. I know it's like 47 years, but Jackie, you're only 30. Yeah, I wish. Um, 47 years, and I, and I think about that. And I think about the loss of not knowing her for myself. 
I think about what it means to be a parent now. And I think in that pain and that loss and that mourning for someone I never knew, but that's why I'm here. I think about the joy that I'm going to see her. And I think about the joy that that is my hope, but that the joy that God will redeem what God redeems. And I'm just going to leave that at that because I don't, I don't, I have my hope, but ultimately my hope is in Jesus. I, I want to go back to one thing you said. You asked, is there a difference between happiness and joy? I can be happy and not be joyful. But when you have joy, it's something that's so internal that happiness is irrelevant. You can be joyful in moments of sorrow because you understand the bigger picture. Because you understand the power of what's going on. You can be happy. The only time you're really happy is when you're emotionally, you know, connected. It's, it's a momentary thing. But joy is something deeper. And um, I oh, probably, I don't know how many years ago, but it's been a while that a, a, a good friend said to me, Jackie, I don't care about you being happy about something. I want, you, I want it to be a healthy decision. How does the promise of something in the future impact us in the present? It gives us greater vision. The promise of the future gives us greater vision for what is to come. Because if we, are, if we are only focused on this moment, that's all we're going to focus. We, are, we, we can't see past what could be. And even if what could be is not what we want, is not within our scope or vision of being able to understand, it still says that things are in motion and they're bigger than us and they're more powerful than us. And because it's not our definition for it, it's because it's not our vision for it, then that gives a license for it to be bigger and greater. Go back to Isaiah. Isaiah, a virgin will give, he doesn't understand. Does he really understand how a virgin is going to give birth? Does he really understand how this child that she births is going to be God? Just those two questions. Let's think about that. But he holds on to those things, and those things become a part of the Jewish narrative in such a way that they're always looking for the Messiah. Now, they're not looking, now they're looking for someone to meet their needs, not someone to be their God. Two different things. But it becomes a part of the narrative, and that, that brings a, a joy because they see hope. So it's not just this like to use your words, ethereal thing that's in the future. It actually impacts how we live now. And I, I think this is why it's so hard for people right now to rejoice this year. Because they can't see it. They can't. Is it easier for you to rejoice because you're a pastor? It's easier for me to rejoice because the experiences I have had with God have proven him trustworthy. So it's not your occupation. It's not my occupation. Um, it's God's faithfulness to my everyday life. It's 
his willingness to step to a sinner. Pastor sinner, mega, mega, mega sinner, me. And to every day, say, Jackie, you are my son. And I'm going to show you in little ways and in big ways how loved you are. And I, I just, that's what's transformative for me. How has it been personally hard for you to rejoice this year? What have you done in those times to get through? I think it's been difficult for me to rejoice at times this year because I have focused on me. Those moments when I have focused on me and my own, maybe my own shortcomings, maybe my, maybe my own mistakes, and I didn't say, God, you got me. What I said was, Jackie, you're a failure. Jackie, you're being inconvenienced. Jackie, there are questions. And I didn't allow God to unfold himself to me and say, Jackie, I got you. And so I'll be honest, that God really dealt with me on that. It was a, it was a, it was a hard deal. It was, a, it was, it was, I can't even tell you, it was a, it was a painful dealing that he dealt with me on that. But he did. And I'm still working through some of those things. But I, I understand it better. How's it been personally hard for me to rejoice this year? I haven't felt disconnected from people as much as this year we have all been distanced. And there's a difference between disconnect and distance. I live 2,500 miles away or 3,000 plus miles away from my sister. We FaceTime two, three times a week, sometimes four times a week. I have never felt closer to her in this distance. But there are people that I am 10 feet away from that I feel disconnected from. And that bothers me. And it's not, it's not because of a mask. It's not because someone told me I have to be six feet away from them. I think it's a mindset. And so... That has been hard. I'm a people person, even though I don't always like all people. Uh, and all people don't always like me, but that's okay. But it's been hard. So I think the, the hope I have is that we get to be connected again. And that's going to take work. It's going to take hard work. But it's not impossible. And that's, I think, the, another part of the nativity story that we kind of don't really focus on. We don't see it right off, but it's, it is blatantly in front of us. We just don't see it right offhand. That God is saying, I will not and have never been disconnected from you, even though we've been distant. And I am wanting to and willing to do everything possible in the galaxy, in the universe, to be connected and to be undistanced.
What does it mean for God to be with us, especially when it so often feels like we are alone? If God truly was with us, would not the journey be easier? I got a GPS. I actually have two GPSs in my in my new to me 2013 car. It came with a built-in GPS that tells me I can I can look on that bad boy and it's pretty up to date. Um, I should feel a sense of comfort that I can see the route I'm going, but I don't. I still got questions about whether or not it's truly accurate. So then I plug in my phone. And that's, you know, that's a satellite GPS. That's got to be better than the 2013. This is, a, you know, this is, you know, immediately 2020 technology right here at my fingertips. But I still question it. It's showing me exactly where I am and exactly where I'm going. And it tells me this may just, there's still always this question. It is a part of sin that we will always, and I say the word always, deep within us, we will always have that question about God. You're right, it should be easier. But because of us, not because of him, because of our questions, because of our issues, because of our fear, we will always have that sense of, can I really trust this is the right direction? Um, so it's always going to be hard. And that's why we, that's why we have to stay connected to the stories and recognize where God is showing up, where he's giving us a glimpse of his glory every day. So what I understand you saying is that the road will always be difficult, but our doubt only makes the road more difficult. That's very interesting. Why does Matthew 1, and 23 call Jesus Emmanuel, meaning God with us? What is the theological significance and the everyday significance of this? I thought about this question when you sent it to me. And I'm going to reframe it a little. Why do we need God with us? Why? Let's just, let's just pretend for a second that this plan of salvation that is worked out in the Gospels, we could make it a sentence. Jesus died for our sins. And we wouldn't necessarily have to go through all the other stuff. It's important to know that God is with us. Because as we watch Jesus, his life unfold, what we see is a God who can empathize, sympathize, walk with, cry with, bleed with. His hands get muddy and dirty. He understands work because he is the son of a carpenter and that's what he does. Um, he understands sorrow because he's a kid at some point and other kids mess with him and that's what we do. He understands joy um, because he watches people, even before he heals them, he watches people celebrate and sing in the temple and all of the festivals and feasts and the things that point to hope. We have a God who is with, one with us. 
And we don't really understand that. But I need it. I need to know that when I'm more focused on Jackie than I am on Jesus, that he gets it. And in that he still calls me to live higher. You talk about being in 2020, but looking past it. Can you expand a little more on this? If I could rate this year on a scale of one to ten. Give it a give it a give it a Amazon review. That's only five stars. <laughs> no, if you if you could rate that many many people would rate this year what, a three or a two or you know, you know, let's let's just look can we look at all the all the crazy things. We even just had a volcano go off, you know, the hurricanes. My family went through like five hurricanes. My poor grandmother in northern Florida, every time she would unboard her house, they would say, you know, got to board your house back up. And, you know, how her house was almost flooded off and she just replaced. I mean, you can think of all the things that people have gone through. These murder hornets. I'm still having a good laugh at murder hornets. Because um, we have no other name than to call it a murder hornet. Yeah, that's not scary. But we look at all the things things that have gone on this year what are the moments of joy been what are the moments of pause and just saying well that wasn't supposed to happen but I'm glad it did where have the moments of peace been I, I, I the picture I have on the front of my phone right now is a picture of my daughter at the beach I look at that picture because not because I don't have others, because she's in a moment of pure joy. She's two and a half years old, and it's a little chilly, and it's a little rainy, and she's able to run around and just experience the water and life and people around her, and she's just loving it. And it's more than just that moment, because when she sees the front of my phone and she sees herself, and I know she goes back to that moment and she remembers being at the beach and she remembers our friends and she remembers the rain and she, because we talk about it. That's how we can be in the moment and past the moment. Because in all the negativity of this year, there have been positives. There have been. There has been hope. There's been hope shown. We need hope. And to be in this moment and yet be past this moment acknowledges that God is moving us past this moment. Sometimes we get into negative patterns of thinking when we hold on to a moment, when we hold on to our grief and our sorrow, when we hold on to our anger, when we hold on to our fear, and we don't allow ourselves to move past it. We don't allow ourselves the potential to move past it. So even if the day is sunny, even if it's a beautiful day outside and the birds are singing and, and all, the, and, and you're like, ah, oh, it's a beautiful day. Because you're holding on to what was or what you held yourself captive to something that no longer exists. My prayer for, is for people not to hold on to 2020 because it's something that no longer, no longer exists. We will always deal with the repercussions of this year in some way, form, or fashion. But we don't have to hold on to this year. We can hold on to the lessons, but not the emotions. And that's how we move past it. When Jesus healed the guy by the pool of Siloam, what did he say? He said, 
Get up, take your mat, and what? Walk. People, get up, take your mat, and walk. Be in motion. Because life is motion. And so that's how we can be in this moment and be past it. God calls us to be people of motion. And we can see over and over in the Bible that Satan wants us to focus inwardly in, in this dark, deep places where there is no motion. And that's, that's what happened to Saul. So that's my prayer is that we, we can be in this moment. We can take the lessons from this year and we can move forward. Thank you for joining us today, Pastor Jackie. Thank you, Pastor Alex. Love, love, love our podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the MGC podcast. If you're thinking about a present to give us this Christmas, you can go to Instagram and give us a follow. You can find us at MGC underscore podcast. Another gift you can give us is a review on iTunes. I know it doesn't seem like much, but those small little things help us and it helps others find us. On behalf of all of us here at MGC, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you, your friends, and your family. Thank you.